You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We're going to go a little different direction than I had anticipated, so some of this will be up here and some not. Lord's just been taking me a different direction on this for the last day or two, but I do want to start here. Karen already mentioned this morning, rudely, that uh, this word Emmanuel means God with us. And we find that, you know, she mentioned that, well, let's let's go over to the to the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles with you, I really encourage you to follow along. Some of this is going to be on your screen, some of it's not. Um, and I believe in the heart of this, the Lord really has a specific message for all of us. And over in Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see Matthew quote from Isaiah 7.14. And Matthew does this a lot. He links what Jesus is doing and what is happening uh, in the ministry of Jesus. He links that back to the prophecy about that. And we get a lot of that from Matthew. It's really good. I love having the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, you know, seeing it connected together. For one thing, I mean, these prophecies were made hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. And, you know, we live in the time of the fulfillment of all of those prophecies because Jesus fulfilled, he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled what the prophets declared, he fulfilled all of that. We live in that, but prophecy still works like that. And prophecy is still very much alive, obviously, in the New Testament. But when the Lord speaks something to us, there's usually, there's an immediate application. Like there was when Isaiah spoke this, he was talking about Israel finding deliverance. But then there was the fullness of deliverance from sin. What, what Israel experienced with captivity and with, with being delivered from that captivity was just a foreshadowing of what we would experience through Jesus Christ of the captivity of sin and being released from that. And, and there is an even greater fulfillment coming in all of that. And that's how a lot of times when we receive a word from the Lord, there's, a, there's an immediate application of that word. But there's also something greater that'll be fulfilled later. So it's just something to to keep in mind as we look at these things. But here in Matthew chapter uh, 1, again, beginning with verse 22, it says, All this took place that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which when translated means God with us. So Emmanuel was a title, a prophetic title given to Jesus Christ as a part of his ministry or who he was, and it means God with us. But that's such a, when we bring that into English, it loses so much meaning, God with us. Well, that's cool, you know, God with us. But it means so much more than that. Uh, God, God's desire through out from the beginning of time, from the creation and the creation of man and, and the setting in the garden and the, the fact that God walked and talked, we'll look at that in a second, walked with them. God's desire has always been to dwell in an intimate, personal way 
with his people and in his people. And the fall in the garden severed that relationship for a time that God wanted. And, and because when sin entered in, and, and then so God began immediately. In fact, he began before Adam and Eve sinned. He announces the gospel in the very first part of Genesis. He, he already had the plan of salvation in place that he himself would redeem us, would, would make the way for us to be reconciled to himself and to have this intimate relationship with him. But again, this title, it, it means much more than just God visiting us or God being in proximity to us or anything you might think about along those lines. This idea of God with us, it's, it's the restoration of a relationship that is it has so many facets. It's a friendship. It's a parent-child relationship. It is a, a Lord and worshiper relationship. It is all of these things. We're called the bride of Christ. It is a, it is a, a living, breathing relationship of God in us. And that's always been his desire to be in and with his people. So when we say God with us, it, it's not just sort of God's in town. You know, it, it is, there's so much more to this. He is our partner. He is our confidant. He is our counselor. He is our encourager. He is all of, all of these things. And so in the gospel of John, we find in verse, uh, chapter one, verse 14, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So this term, his dwelling, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the idea there is the idea that he made, he established his home among us. And the Bible, there's a there's this, this idea, this truth that flows throughout the scripture, and, and we get a lot of it in the New Testament because that's when it became available to us was through Christ. The word that we use a lot is this, this word abiding, that we abide in him, he abides in us, that his word abides in us, we abide in his word. We don't, at least I don't, I don't use the word abide. I don't know, maybe you do, but I, I don't use that. But what that word means, and let me just give you some some definition of that word, it, it means to make your home someplace. You know, and we even talk about, you know, you, most of you, you live in a house or you live in an apartment, there's a place where you live, okay? And many of us will talk about a, a house, which has the potential to be a home. But, you know, there's this whole phrase that we have about, we'll make a house a home. There's a difference between the word house or the word apartment and the word home. There's a difference between the word tent. There's a difference between a yurt and a home, but a yurt can be a home, right? But what makes a home a home is that, this is, this is probably not the best phrase for this, is that it's a home, okay? It's, it's the place, it's a place of security, it's a place that's familiar. It's a place where we keep our stuff. It's a place where we gather with family. It's ours. There's a, there's a possession about a home 
there is a safety and a security. I know not everybody grows up in a safe, secure home, but when we think about what a home is, this is what it's supposed to be. It's that place where you can rest. It's that place where you can let go of other things and other cares. You know, you get done with your busy day, you go home. You go to this, and you and you can be yourself, and you can let your hair down. You can, uh, you know, you're. you're it, it's your home, your things. You make it personal, and that's the idea. When this scripture says Jesus came and he took on flesh. And he made his dwelling or made his home among us. That was his choice. That was God the Father's desire, and that was Jesus' choice. He didn't just come and establish a throne. He didn't just come and establish a a kingdom city. He didn't just come. He came to dwell in and among his people and to live within us and to live out through us. And and the Father, that has been the Father's desire from creation. So this term abide, this term Emmanuel, this term God with us, the scripture tells us over and over and over, well, let me not get that far ahead of myself. This term abide, all right, it means a place to rest, a place to dwell, it means a place to stop and stay a while. It's not a place you visit. It's not a motel. Okay, you're, you're, the place you abide, the place God abides, it's not a visit. It's, it's, not, it's not even a nice uh, B&B that you go to on vacation and really enjoy when you're there. It's not that. It's home. For many of you, in fact, many people in here this morning, not in here this morning, <laughs> because it's Christmas time, and so they've gone home. What's interesting about that is many of them have a home here that's their home. But then there's still that home with your parents or that home someplace else for many people. I was just thinking about the fact that when I, I moved 46 years ago, left the town I grew up in and was very thrilled to do it. But at the time, I was so anxious to get out of there and get back to Colorado that I left there on December 15th. I celebrated every year because I never wanted to live in that place. But um, And many people love that place. That's fine. Not me. But anyway, I left there on December 15th. And a couple of years later, I was, I was broke, of course, because I was 19 and just working enough to be able to fly my hang glider as much as I could. That was my life, you know, like many of, some of you have probably done with skiing or something. And, uh, and so I left on December 15th and moved back to Colorado. And a couple of years after that, my parents ended up, all of us were out of the house. We were all adults. They got divorced. There have been things going on none of us knew about for years, and they got divorced. So I had always, when I was a kid, I looked forward to my brothers and my sister coming home at Christmas. We'd always have a great time when the family came home at Christmas. It was really special. I'd always look forward to moving away, but coming home for Christmas. Well, I never got to do that. You can play a little violin for me if you want. I never got to do that because that home disappeared. You know, I I got to be with my parents and things, but it wasn't the same. And so I had a home over in Paonia, but I would have gone to a deeper home, you know, to my parents' home where, where I grew up. 
And I've thought since then about, you know, I mean, I was just a selfish kid, I guess. Uh, why did I leave before Christmas that year? If I'd had, you know, I left December 15th. It had already been a brutal winter up there. This was in North Dakota. And, you know, I came, I just wanted to go fly. I just wanted to go fly. I got laid off for the winter. I moved. And I've thought since, man, I could have had that last Christmas with my parents in at home, you know, didn't even think about it at the time. But that was, you know, I never liked the, the place where we lived, the town where we lived, any of that. And yet that place, that house where my parent, that was that little piece of property, that was home. And so we have, and I'm just saying all of this to say, when it says that Jesus, God with us, that a choice that God made, this is just phenomenal. Well, God's in heaven. Yeah, he is, but heaven's in us. The kingdom is within us. He has chosen and gone to the extent of giving his son for our sin so that he could make his home in us. And he could build that home, not just a place where he visits, that home. And that's the title, Emmanuel, is God with us, in us, intimately, permanently. To go on with these definitions, this word abide means to continue permanently in the same condition, to be firm and immovable. So it's not like he's going to move in and move out in a a year either. It's not like he's going to move in, stay with you three years, and then move somewhere else. God has chosen to, the final part of that is, this word abide means to remain and to continue. He lives in us, and it's his choice. I guess that's what I want to get to us this morning. This is his heart. This is his desire, to live in you and in me. And depending on how we view ourselves and different things, sometimes we can just go, man, you know, I think he could have made a better choice. You know, maybe I'm not the best place for him to live. No, he chose you, and he chose all of us, but he also chose each individual. And so no matter what your past is, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're thinking about going, God still chose and is choosing to live in you and dwell in you by his spirit. Now, this place of abiding, and this is where I kind of want to take off from, from where I uh, had thought we were going. Let's, let's go over to John chapter 8 and look at a couple of verses. I don't have any of this on your... Uh, on the screen for you. John chapter 8. We'll look at a couple of different passages here. Let's see. I'm going to go first to verse 31. I'm going to read these verses from the Amplified Bible. But Jesus said so much about this idea of abiding. And and so God has made the choice to live in us. And he is he has confirmed that choice in the most almost unimaginable way by taking on flesh, shedding his own blood to forgive our sin so that he could come and live in us. He is committed to living in us. He is committed to us being his home. But we then have a choice because he always gives us a choice. God doesn't override our will. He always gives us a choice. He's shown his commitment 
Now, we have the choice on a daily basis to abide in him. And this place of abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us, that is the place where transformation occurs in us, where we are changed to be more like him. That is the place where fruit is born in us. That is the place where we are pruned, where things are removed out of us that would hinder our relationship with him and where we are um, seeded and, and fertilized and watered and all that all happens in this place that the Bible calls abiding, making your home in him, in his word, in his spirit. And so Jesus said a lot of things about this. I, I just want to look at a couple of verses here. In verse 31, you, got, you guys know these verses. It says, Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, continually obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All right. We've, we know truth through abiding in the word. So that means I, I take the word of God, and the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. We, I, I take time, and this is almost, I'm just trying to, this is so internal that I'm trying to think how to put it in words. There are times when I go to the scripture, and I couldn't say that that was an abiding time, Okay. Because I read it, I I got I might have even gotten some things from it, but I didn't make my home there. I didn't I didn't take the time usually to settle down, to come to rest, to focus there, probably to meditate those scriptures through and through, to let them run through my mind and cleanse me of other things. I didn't become at peace there, at home there. I didn't bring, you know, again, our, our home, we go in and we take a house, we make it a home. That means we bring our stuff in. We set it up the way that, that we're comfortable. I'm not saying we set Jesus up the way that we're or set the word up. I'm saying we bring all of our life, all of our pursuits, all of our possessions, all of our, our, our life. We bring it in. And we set it in the word. This is a choice we can make once. And we need to make it once. I will abide in him. I will abide in his word. And those two things are the same. I will abide there. I'll bring my whole life in here. And I will settle down in his word, in his ways, in his instruction, in the life that comes from his word, in truth. And so if I'm, if I'm coming in and Jesus and I are living together now, there are things that are going to need to change, not in him, but in me. There are things I'm going to need to leave out because they're not pleasing to him. And he'll show me that over time. But I'm going to come to the word and I'm going to come to my time with him. And I am going to seek to, I don't make it every time, but I'm going to seek to settle into a time with him, 
where I can hear his voice. I can sense his heart and I can allow his voice and his heart and what's going on there to change me and permeate me, whether to remove or to add to or to adjust or to remind of things that he's spoken before. It's I'm trying to describe an intimate time with him. That's abiding in his word. So you can know the Bible front to back and have never abided in his word. Or you can abide in his word and maybe, you, you know, you don't know the address of every scripture. People say that a lot as if they think I do. Uh, you know, but but when you're having that time in his word, it's a time at the table. It's a family time. It is a time at home with him. And I know we don't always, when truth comes, sometimes we don't feel, we don't feel comfortable right away. And it's because something needs to be adjusted on the inside of us. And he goes on here. Um, so, so he says, it's when we abide in his word that we will know the truth. And that word know is that Greek word, gnosko. It, it really speaks of an intimate knowledge, not just facts. Okay. We'll know his word. Man, I wish I had, I wish I could just do this all in tongues or something. There's so much in my heart. I don't have the words for it, but his word, remember, his word is alive. It is a living, breathing thing. It is, it is him. And so when we're abiding in his word, we are, we're, we're feeding on him. We're having that intimacy with him. But anyway, that's where truth comes from. And that truth in that place will set us free. Okay. And then he goes down, he keeps talking. This is a great, you know, if you haven't read through it for a while, John, I love John chapter five, six, seven, eight. There's so much in these chapters. Jesus has so much, so many powerful things to say. And we come down and, you know, he's talking to people who believe that, that they're good with God because they're descendants of Abraham. And they've always believed this. And they're really put off by him saying that he could make them free. You know, they're, and they, their mind goes back to Egypt or, or one of the other captivities of Israel. And they say, hey, we're descendants of Abraham and we've never been slaves to anybody. We've never been in, in slavery. And Jesus comes back and says, no, no, anybody who is given to sin, anybody who allows sin to work in their life, you're captive to it. And that's what he came to address. So he has this discussion about, with them for quite a while about being Abraham's descendants and and what that means. And he comes down here to verse 37. I want to read this to you again from the Amplified Bible, probably from the old Amplified Bible and the new one, because there's so much good here. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you plan to kill me. Okay, let's just stop right there for a second. So, yep, I, I know you go to church, okay? I know he's saying you're Abraham's descendants, okay? You've got the lineage. I know you grew up in a Christian home. I know you go to church. I know you carry your Bible around with you. I know that. And yet, there's this thing going on on the inside of you. Now, Jesus isn't saying this, or he doesn't say this to us, this kind of thing. To condemn us, he came to save us. And that salvation, it's its when we give our lives to Jesus, we are saved. But then the Bible says we are being saved, okay? 
that process that's going on. Sometimes when we're with him, he points something out in our hearts. And that's a good thing because he has your absolute best at heart. And so he says here, yeah, I know you're Abraham's descendants. And he could, and in other places he does, he goes on, yeah, you, you, you follow the prophets, but you guys are the ones that killed the prophets, okay? You, you, you follow the prophets, but he, but he says here, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you plan to kill me. So he starts reading their hearts and he says, this is what's in you. So, so he's trying to say, snap out of it, you know, realize there's more to this than just being born in the right family. You're Abraham's descendants, yet you plan to kill me. Why? Because my word has no place. The Amplified here says, has no place to grow in you. My word has no place to grow in you. And it makes no change in your heart. So he's looking for us to have a relationship with him, a relationship with his word, to abide in his word to the extent that that word is able to grow in us. And again, whenever we talk about growth, it's not instantaneous. It's not immediate. It's not, this is why you don't just go home, if it's home, once. You don't just go home one night, that was it. I had a good time, that was home, now I'm somewhere else. It's the same thing with his word. We don't go to his word, we don't abide in his word. That's a, that's a permanent thing, that's a long-term thing. It's not a visit. So this doesn't all happen at once. I know sometimes we get frustrated with ourselves we get frustrated with things because, man, it's just not happening. I'm not changing fast enough. I'm, you know, I still have these different things in my life. I just encourage you, just keep going home to the Word. Just keep abiding in Him because this is a process. But he says the reason that you guys can say you're this but have this thing in your heart, the reason is because you have not given any, you have not given my Word room to grow on the inside of you. It hasn't, it, it isn't making any change in your heart. And I know all of us get stuck sometimes. I know all of us, you know, I have those times where it feels like, man, I'm just fighting through the same thing. I keep going back into the same habit. All I can say is the word is powerful and the word will work. But our part is to give it room to grow. Sometimes you have to repot it, you know. You have to put it in a bigger pot so that, it can grow. It'll put down roots for a while and then it'll kind of get root bound in that area of your life and it's time to give it more space and to let it take up another room in your life, another place in your life. And I I just think this whole idea of abiding is, I believe it's what God wanted from the beginning. And number two, it is, it is what our life is given to. Any fruit we're going to produce comes out of abiding. Any transformation we're going to receive, it comes out of abiding. And so how do I do that? Well, probably for most of us, one of the biggest things is time. And and it's not just, I set aside this time and I'm with the Lord. This is my time with the Lord. But the whole time my mind's out here on other things. We There's a there's a discipline to abiding. There's a And it's just, you just got to practice it. You just got to, uh, and I don't say this as like I'm perfect at it. I just, this is what I've found. I have to practice it. And I have to put some practical things in place where I'm, I'm finding a place. I'm finding a time. For some of you, you have quiet places. 
For some of you, you never have a quiet place in your house, okay? Or in your business or whatever. But whatever it is, all of us have the same 24 hours. It really does come down to some priorities along the way and some and some practicals. Maybe you and your uh, and your spouse can, you know, trade off on times. But anyway, whatever it is, you've got to be able, doesn't take hours necessarily. But it, in fact, sometimes it only takes a moment. That's what's so amazing of getting quiet in my heart before the Lord and knowing, and, and I can feel it when I actually get quiet and he's there and I can receive what he's saying. But we just got to keep working out. It's like, we just got to keep practicing it. It needs to be the goal. Okay. Does that make sense? It's got to be the goal. And then whatever you need to do to make it happen, but we've got to be able to let him, let that word produce something. Let that word produce change. And I, I just love that. It has no place to grow in you. It makes no change in your heart. I tell you the things that I have seen at my father's side in his very presence. And then he's telling them, so you also do the things you've heard from your father. So here's a, we are, every one of us are producing fruit from where we abide. Okay. It's evident in our lives where we abide. And if we're abiding in chaos, if we're abiding in craziness from the world, if we're abiding in anger, if we're abiding in unforgiveness, if we're about whatever we're abiding in, okay, we will produce fruit from that place. Abiding where we abide, that's the place that we will produce fruit from. Let me just, uh, let me go over and, oh, yeah, that's right. This is easier on my computer than it is here. I just want to read this. It reads a little differently in the original Amplify, but I really like both of them. In the, in the original, it says, yes, I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you plan to kill me because my word has no entrance. It makes no progress, does not find any place in you. I love that because it's like with a seed being planted, it has to be able to enter into the soil. You know, we know Jesus taught about that our, that our hearts over in Mark chapter four, he talked about the different conditions our hearts can be in based on what we're giving ourselves to. And the, the final one where the stones have been taken out and the weeds have been taken out and all that kind of thing, distractions have been put aside. The final one was good ground. And that's what we want for our hearts is to be good ground for his word, where his word can find a place in us. It can put down roots. There isn't anything else in our lives that's stopping it. And and that the thing about good ground is it will produce whatever seed is put into it. So again, wherever we're abiding, wherever our hearts are living, we will produce fruit from that. Let's run over to John chapter 15 real quick. You guys, I'm sure, know these verses but let's go look at them again. And um, I won't make any promises. So again, I'm, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible here. In verse 3, he says, You are cleansed and pruned already because of the word which I have given you, the teachings I have discussed with you. And verse 4, he says, dwell in me, the same word, abide, abide in me, make your home in me, settle down in me, right? Dwell in me and I will dwell in you, live in me and I will live in you, just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding. No branch 
can bear, no branch can. He's not saying it might. He's saying no branch in him can bear fruit without abiding in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. So this whole, you know, going all the way back, Emmanuel, God with us. It's so much more than he just came, showed himself to us. He just came. He, you know, and I've told you this a lot of times. I'm not blaming anybody, but I grew up with the idea. Number one, God's pretty mad at me. Number two, Jesus is up there at the front of the room hanging on a cross, and that's where he still is. I, I had no concept of Jesus hanging on that cross so that I could have this intimate union with God. I had no idea. And as an idiotic 18-year-old, I got very angry when I found that out because nobody had ever told me. So uh, I moved on. But the, but, but the point is, God has done everything he has done. He sent his son for this abiding. He sent his son so he could be God with us and God in us. What an amazing, I mean, does it amaze you? It amazes me that that's available to us. Every one of us, not perfect, but forgiven. And this goes, and I, and I don't have time to get into it, but, you know, even back, in fact, we'll look at this one, and then I'll just mention a couple things to you that you can look up on your own. You know, back in Genesis, there again, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the uh, garden in the cool of the day. Sorry, that... That old song, never mind, just came to mind. I'm not even going there. Um, Never mind. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And I, I got looking this up because I've always loved that image of God coming. This was obviously a regular thing for the Lord to come and walk and talk with them. You know, there was that type of of presence. And it, it turns out that that word walking really is just a word in the Hebrew that describes a sound made by movement. Just, a, just any sound, really, that's made by movement, but it is most often used of the sound of flowing water or flowing wind. You know, we often, we love the aspens here. You know, you get to hear the wind just flowing through the trees, water flowing. There's something about those sounds that draws us. And so this term cool of the day, he is walking and talking in the cool of the day. So he was, there was a sound of the spirit of God flowing in the place in the cool of the day. It turns out is the Hebrew word ruah, R-U-A-H, which is the word for spirit in the Old Testament. It is the word for the spirit. So what he's saying here is that it was the sound of the spirit of God flowing through the garden in tangible form. And they recognize that. And this is after this is after the fall. It's why they're hiding in the bushes, right? And yet, even separated from God by sin, they had the capacity to hear him, to recognize his presence, to recognize the spirit of God. And that's true of all of us, And it's true of every person who doesn't know the Lord yet that you're going to interact with over the next couple of weeks through these holidays and any other time. Every person is created with the capacity to sense, to know, to hear spiritually 
God's presence, his voice, to recognize his presence. I've told you many, many times. My first, my brother, that first, the first one of us to get born again, when he and his wife would come home and sit at the dinner table and talk about God, it made the hair in the back of my neck stand up. There was a presence there. This was different. And that's what caught my attention. And the same thing, if you don't try to be religious or harsh or whatever, just carry his presence. You're going to be in the presence of a lot of people. I'm going to be in the presence of different people in the next few weeks. My trust is in that presence. Yeah, I want to say the right things, but it needs to start with just carrying the presence and knowing that he is with you. He is in you. Abide in him. And then when you go in someplace, Jesus didn't have to tell everybody who he was when he went in. People recognized there's something going on here. And then, of course, there were the miracles. There were, his words carried the anointing. It, that's the way it's supposed to be with us. But here's God in the garden, in the garden, walking and talking with his people. And when he called out to them, when he said, where are you? That word doesn't just mean, where, he wasn't just saying, hey, which bush are you guys hiding behind? Okay, it, it does mean, where are you? But it also means the same word is used to say, which are you? Or why are you who you are today? So God was asking, he wasn't just saying, and you notice the way Adam answered. Adam got it. He didn't just say, oh, we're over here. We're behind this bush. He didn't just say, he started talking about what had happened, right? He started pointing to his wife. She did it. Right? Shame entered in, accusation entered in, all this stuff entered in through sin. Yeah, it was God, the the woman you gave me caused this trouble. But he but the point is, when God said, Where are you? Adam heard, Which are you? Are you mine? Are you not? Why are you who you are today? I mean, it was a question that drew some things out of them. But God still what he did, and then God, he didn't stamp them out. He didn't incinerate them. He didn't throw lightning bolts. He covered them with animal skins. He moved into covenant immediately. And from that day till the time of Jesus, he worked to bring a covenant that would be so powerful that his people could be reconciled to him. And I just want to give you some verses. We're, we're out of time today, but let me just go over here and, and you can write these down um, if you'd like. Second Corinthians, you know these verses. We're not even going to read through them. I don't have time this morning. But Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. We know those verses because we talk about how we're new creatures in Christ. But if you look at it in verses 18 and 19, it talks about this term reconciliation. And back in Romans, I think it's, I think it's chapter 5, verse 10. It, it talks to us about the fact that while we were God's enemies, he reconciled us to himself. That word reconciled means a relationship's been broken. But now it is put back together. It is put fully back together. And many times a reconciled relationship is stronger than the original relationship. But it's, in our case, it's, it's a relationship 
that has been with God that has been brought back to its original place, original design of intimacy. And so all these terms in about, or all these verses about reconciliation, you can just look them up in the New Testament and just look at what it says. It, in verse 18, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. He didn't reconcile himself to us because there was no problem on his end, but he did the work to bring us back to him. And then he gave us this, it says ministry. It means that's a person who waits on tables. So he gives us this ministry of reconciliation. So what we have to bring to the table is that you are reconciled to God. We step into reconciliation through making Jesus the Lord of our life, but the reconciliation is a fact. There is peace right now between God and man, which is what the angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? This is coming now because the Christ has come. Jesus has come. There is a condition of peace between God and man. We enter it for each one personally by accepting that work and receiving it to ourselves. And and so it's really important uh, that we realize as we go places, especially at this time of year, any time of year, but at this time of year, we go places and we go to groups, you know, to family meetings, whatever that we don't normally do. He has given us, we wait on tables. We bring something to the table and that something is the message of reconciliation. It's the message that God loves you. It's the message Jesus died for your sins. It's the message God's not mad at you anymore. God's not up there angry. How many of us grew up with that idea? I mean, it gets taught all the time. Let me read you one more set of verses and we're done. Over in Colossians chapter 1, verse, beginning with verse 19, I want to read this from the New Living Translation. It says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. Most of these verses just talk about God re- reconciling us to himself. These verses give a different picture. God, through Christ, reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. I don't, I can't say I fully understand that verse, but I know that most Bible scholars, somehow our sin on this earth even affected heaven. Because reconciliation, there had to be reconciliation between God and things in heaven, as well as things on earth, and Christ accomplished it all. I don't know what all that means, but that's a powerful statement. And to think of the magnitude, if God can, could reconcile through Christ the things that are in heaven, he certainly could reconcile us to himself. And it says, this includes you, who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has, past tense, reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We could preach on that statement all morning. God views us that way because he sees us through the work of Christ. Holy and blameless. Every one of us know that there's still that we have sin in our lives and we have to repent of that. We all get it. 
But when God looks at you, if you're struggling under guilt or condemnation this morning, if you're struggling feeling not enough, if you're struggling with any of that, abide in this verse. Because when we know how he views us, we will rise to that place in our lives. We go on thinking God's mad at us. God's putting us down. God can't get near us. We go on thinking those things. We'll back up from the Lord. If we know that we are reconciled. He has made this relationship right. And when he views us, we are blameless in his sight because of the work of Christ, not because of us, because of the work of Christ. And we know that gives us confidence to draw near to his throne and to get to know him better. Does that make sense? All right, let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, the magnitude of what you have done is so, it is so amazing. It is so rich. It is so full that I, I know it many times, at least to me, it, it, it's just kind of beyond fully grasping. And yet, Lord, we just want to abide in it. We just want to continue to feed on, on the work that Christ has done to live in it. But, but to feed on the revelation of the work that you've done to reconcile us to yourself. Lord, we want to be people that go forth every day knowing that we are reconciled and really everything in heaven and on earth stands reconciled. And Lord, we want to help others move into that place of reconciliation. We know it's your desire. Father, I pray for all of us Lord, as we do go uh, places this this time of year, Lord, I, I know there's people all over, Father, that they need to know you and we want them to know you in that very intimate way that you really have for them. We don't want to bring them religion. Lord, we want to bring them this relationship. And so I'm asking, Father, we put trust in your anointing. And Father, our prayer is that every time we spend that time with you, Lord, that, that Father, we, we can come to that place of abiding. We can come to that place of quiet and and an exchange of lives that we have in this covenant, Lord, and so that we can carry that out to others. There's got to be a supernatural element to this, Lord. We put our trust in your anointing because it's your anointing that breaks the yoke. And so, Father, as we go out as the church, we believe, Lord, we come in here to gather to be equipped so we can go out there and be your church. And, Lord, as we go out even this week, next week, throughout this holiday season in particular, we're asking for anointing. We're asking for that abiding presence on our lives, Lord, that we may not even recognize, but Father, lives will be changed because of it. And we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you have planned to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, we've got some special food out there this morning. There's a lot of good stuff out there, so I encourage you, if you can, hang around, enjoy one another. Uh, There's some people brought breakfast casseroles, and there's a lot of stuff out there. Better feed. All right. So let's say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. Also, if you're going to be traveling, and, and even now I've been praying for the people who are traveling, let's be praying for one another, that we have safe travels, but also effective travels. Okay. Let's say it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen.
you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.